Now, I promise you, that was a good look back then. <laughs> hey, let's just be honest. Some things get better with age, right? Well, I heard a, a story uh, from a mother who was overhearing her seven-year-old daughter talk to her four-year-old son, and this daughter was really given the facts of life, the lessons of life to this little brother of hers, right? And, and the mother overhears her daughter really forcefully saying, now listen, the most important thing for you to do is to, to obey God. Do you hear me? You must obey God. Do you understand me? You must obey God. And so the mother's hearing this and she kind of peeks around the corner and her daughter's like a little bit of a type A personality. He kind of has like the preacher thing going on already. And, and, and then all of a sudden, this, this daughter who was forcefully telling her little brother to obey God takes this long pause and then says, and I'm going to play God. Pretty cute, but I want to give you a little bit of an opportunity to play God, just for a moment, to play God, to, to think about what God was thinking, because when you look around the world, you, you see there is this level of hurt and destruction. You see this level of harshness that humanity has toward one another. You see the amount of evil in this world, and much of it, if not the vast majority of it, is caused by humanity. And so the question I have for you from God's perspective is, what was God thinking? Why would God even create us? Why would God even bring any of this to, to, to be? Or let me ask it another way. What is in this for God? What's in this for God? Let me tip my hand a little bit because there is this uh, very famous philosopher and Christian writer. He's very good. His name is Dallas Willard and he writes this, listen to this. He says, the Bible is all about life with God. It is about how God made this with life possible and how he will bring it to pass. The unity of the Bible is discovered in the development of life with God as a reality on earth centered on the person of Jesus. Now let me just say this another way to you. If you were to read the Bible, even a cursory read of the Bible, just start flipping through these pages, you would see that God has one great desire. And that is to know you and to be known by you. It is for you and for me to turn our hearts toward him, not just to know about him or think maybe he is somewhere out there, but, but it is actually to know him and to be with him. He wants to do life with you. He, he wants to be in right relationship with you. Friends, let me tell you something. God is a lot closer than you think. God is a lot closer than you think. God does not want to be distant from you, no friends, not at all. He is closer than you think. So I want you to think about the, you know, or just even consider the very first relationship, and I'm not talking about Brad and Angelina, right? Or any of the Hollywood famous type of people. So I'm not even talking about Adam and Eve. The very first relationship was between God and Adam. And you may know the story, God creates Adam and places him in this garden. And so Adam lives in this in this garden, and he's doing whatever people who live in a garden do. I don't know, he's hoeing and weeding and growing things, right? Uh, and in our minds, we, we picture that there's this relationship where God comes and visits on Sunday afternoon with Adam, 
where like maybe like a grandparent would come over your house for a Sunday dinner, right, after church or something like that. And we think that God every once in a while would, would show up, but that's not the way it was at all. Not at all, friends. You, you see, the Bible is very clear in this. I don't want to get lost in any sort of theological debate, but, but the picture is painted that, that God and Adam regularly did life together in the garden, that they actually hung out in the garden. I'm not exactly sure what hanging out with God would actually look like, but that is the picture that we're given, that Adam was doing life with God. You may remember the story where, where Adam is given this opportunity by God the Father to name all the animals. And, and it's hard to picture this, but God was with Adam in the naming of the animals. It was like hippopotamus, woo, that's a good one, Adam, keep going, man, you're on a roll. Orangutan, woo, you came up with a good one. You know, and he's just like high-fiving them, octopus, whoa, you know, uh, ant. And he's like, what? Ant, that's the best you can do? You know, and Adam's like, that's the best I got. I've been doing this all day. You couldn't do any better. And God's like, what up? Well, I could do better than that, right? But you gotta get this picture that, that they were together. And, and when Eve was created by God and gave Eve as a gift to Adam, God was there. God was there. I mean, you think about this. God's like going, Adam, I got one more to show you here in a minute. This is, this is gonna be incredible. I'm telling you right now. And then God brings Eve to Adam and Adam goes, whoa, oh, man. Man, oh man, whoa. <laughs> That's where we get women from. Whoa, woman. <laughs> you, you get what I'm saying? But, but they were together on this. And Adam's like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about right there. And, but that's the way it was. And God was there and Adam was there. And, and, and this may sound cheap to say this, but they were like inseparable friends. They had this relationship that was unbroken. There was a togetherness that God intended from the beginning. And, and so friends, listen, what Adam did, Adam did with God. And where Adam went, Adam went with God. And this is the story of the God-man relationship until that faithful, fateful day when, of course, Adam and Eve fell. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God, when they turned away from God. You may know the story, but theologians call this day when Adam decide and Eve decide to disobey, to, to turn from God. They call this the fall because this was the day that the relationship between God and man fell apart. They call it the fall, right? And, and it was the day that Eve first ate of the forbidden fruit and then Adam, of course, fouled. But even after the fall, right? Even after this moment where there was this turning away by Adam, and Eve from God, even after that, listen, God was still wanting the relationship to go on. God, even though there was unfaithfulness on Adam's part, God still showed up. And you may remember the story, right? Because right after the fall, the very next day, the scripture records that there was this routine that God and Adam had. And it, when the day would, the hot of the day would fall into the cool of the evening, it says that God and Adam, picture this in your mind, that God and Adam would walk together in the garden. And you picture them just strolling through the garden, recounting the day, having this connectedness that oftentimes you and I completely miss with God. And so they would go for this walk, but this time God was there, but Adam was not. God knew exactly what had happened. God knew that the relationship was broken, but God wanted the relationship. Listen to me. God wanted the relationship to go on. 
So sometimes when you and I, when we screw it up, when we turn away from God, when we do this thing called sin in our life, and sometimes it's a big one and we want to hide from God, God wants that relationship to go on. He wants it to move forward. He doesn't want us to turn back, but this is what Adam does. Adam's like a no-show, but God calls out to Adam and he says, he says, Adam, Adam. So if it was a woman, he would have said Eve because you only have to call the woman once, right? Man, it takes twice. So he says, Adam, Adam. And then he says these, this little phrase, where are you? As if God didn't know where he was. Of course he knew. But Adam was hiding from God. He was recoiling from God. He was running from God. But the scripture says that God calls out to, Adam's, to Adam. And, and, and Adam, even though he, had, he, he even though he had, I want you to think about what this means to us. Because even though he had screwed up, even though he had abandoned God, God still pushes his way into the relationship and still reaches toward Adam. And this is like God's purposeful decision. Let me think, why don't you think about this? This is like God's purposeful decision to put the leverage in your hands for a relationship. He leaves it up. Where are you? And he leaves the decision for the ongoing relationship to you and to me. And so he calls out to Adam, 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 where are you? And then Adam's response is interesting. He says, I heard you. I heard you. I knew you were calling me, but I knew my sin. And then he says this little phrase, and so I hid. So I hid. I knew you were coming. I knew you still wanted to go on. I knew you wanted to meet me, but I hid from you. God wanted to be with Adam even though, though Adam did not want to be with God. And at that moment, the whole God-man relationship changed. God's heart was broken, but God was still intentional on building this relationship. You see, God's great desire from the very beginning was to be with Adam. And even though the relationship was violated, even though it was broken, um, God wanted a right relationship. He wanted that relationship restored right from the beginning. Y'all hear me on this? And friends, it is the same thing for you and me. It has not changed. The heart of God is the same. When we break the relationship, God's desire is that he comes after us. The story of God has not changed at all. For all of our running, for all of our backbiting and backpedaling, for all of the times I have put my hand up to God and said, no, thank you, God, I'll do it my way. God, I got a better idea. God, I just like to hide from you for a little bit. For all of that, God still says, uh-uh, uh-uh. He reaches and he continually calls and he says, Jeremy, where are you? As if he didn't know. But he knows. But he knows. And he's leaving it up to me to move back toward him. God has never given up on the God-man relationship. The relationship is written into the soul of man. It is written into the soul of humankind. And this is why for all of humankind, for all of human history, from every people group, from all points of history, from all walks of life, from all socioeconomical uh, 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 groups of people, all of them have desired some sort of relationship with their creator. We know this because God is the one who initiates this God-man relationship. And every once in a while, friends, listen, every once in a while, 
Mankind gets it right. Every once in a while, the relationship is walked in such a way that it is un, or lived in such a way that it is unbroken. The Bible says that a man named Enoch got it right when it says that Enoch walked with God. Uh, it, the, the Bible speaks of a man named Noah, and he says Noah got it right because it says that Noah walked with God. It says that Moses got it right, and Joshua got it right, and David got it right because it says that they walked with God. These men were not perfect. These women were not perfect. You know this. None of us are. But what did they do that so many of us don't do? When they distanced themselves from God, they humbled themselves to God. They, they found their way back to him. They kept coming back to the relationship that mattered most. They kept coming with a humble heart. They didn't want to give up on the relationship. And they received God back because God had never left. Because God was still reaching toward them. And if you were to read the Bible, you would see that this pattern of relationship between God and man, uh, and, and there is this one phrase that keeps creeping into the conversation. And it goes something like this. It says, God was with. So if you were to go back and read the pages, you would see that God was with a man named Abraham. Because Abraham walked with God. You would see that it says that God was with Moses, because Moses walked with God. It says that God was with Joshua and God was with Enoch and God was with, with, uh, with Peter because, because they walked with God. And it just seems like the relationship is left up to us to seek him to move toward him. God's done all of the moving toward us. He's done everything that's needed possible. He's stamped himself all over your soul. And you and I, we just got to figure out a way to walk with God. This is so important. As a matter of fact, Moses once wrote this uh, toward God and toward this relationship with God. He, he prized this life with God so much so that this is what he writes in Exodus 33. This is remarkable. He says, it says that Moses says to God, if your presence does not go, what does it say? With us. If your presence does not go with us, do not send us from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with your people unless you go what? with us. Are you beginning to pick up on God's desire for this relationship? He wants a with you relationship. He wants a with us sort of relationship. And this theme goes on and on and on and on and on until one day it's as if God is in the throne room of heaven looking down over all of humanity and all of the sin and all of the disappointment and all of the hurt and all the just all of it. And he says, I've had enough. And it's as if God says, I'm not going to take it anymore. I can't stand the distance because he sees that man has a growing distance with God. And he's tired of it. He says, I don't want that. It was never my intention that man would walk alone without me. And so God's greatest desire was made flesh. And then sort of unsuspectedly in the middle of the night in an undescript town in an undescript family in an undescript moment in human history, he is born in a way, in, in an out of the way town in, a, in kind of a makeshift stable with a makeshift manger for a bed. And he lives his life early on in this one stop little town and, and he gets a job pounding nails for 10 hours a day. 
And he sends his son to be made flesh and to walk among us because he has one desire. And that is the Christmas story, isn't it? To be with us. Maybe you remember the, 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 the conversation be, between, between God's spirit and, and Mary or even God and, and the earthly father, Joseph. Maybe you remember these. Uh, if you, you may not think you do, but you do because you remember the Christmas songs, right? And the Christmas songs have this word that we sing and the word is Emmanuel, right? You, hear, you sing this word and it sings so beautifully, but what does it mean? It means God with us. God with us. God sees this distance. He sees this brokenness in our relationship. And he says, enough is enough is enough. And he sends his own flesh to be here with us. And we could read all of the scripture with this one overriding principle. We could just call it the Emmanuel principle. God wants to be with us. The Emmanuel principle. And, and I think the story of God is clear. He wants to be with us. But, but if that's the case, if, God, if, if what, what I'm saying is true to you, I get what so many of you are thinking, then why does God seem to hide himself from me so well? If God really wants to be with us, and, and I mean, like, I, I hear what you're saying. I see the stories in the Bible, and I see the big Abrahams and the Moseses and the Davids. I even see the preacher guy on TV with the big hair and the flashy suit, and he claims that God is, is with him. And, and even you, Jay, up there on that little stage, you're saying that God is with you, and I don't doubt that. But I don't feel it for me. I don't feel it inside. It's not like that for me at all. I don't know if you uh, ever heard of Paul Harvey. He, he's passed away now. But you guys remember who Paul Harvey is? Oh, he was a legend. And he, he was a, kind of like a news commentator, but he told the news in a very different sort of a way. And, and, and I just want to read a little story that uh, he had in his little uh, commentary he did called The Rest of the Story. Just listen to this. Because this is how uh, some of us will feel. It goes like this. Um, it's about the Westside Baptist Church in Beatrice, Nebraska. And here's how the story begins. I'm just quoting Paul Harvey. He says, uh, normally all of the good choir people came to church on Wednesday night to practice and they tended to be early, well before the 7.30 starting time. But one night on March 1st, 1950, one by one, two by two, they all had excuses for being late. Marilyn, the ever-reliable church pianist, overslept after her, after, or after her dinner time nap, and so she and her mother were both late. One girl, a high school sophomore, says that she was having trouble with her homework, and thus she was delayed in coming, so she too was late. One couple reported to the police that they couldn't get their car started, which had never, ever happened before, and so that they were late, as well was the couple that they were supposed to pick up on their way to church. All 18 choir members, Paul Harvey says, uh, including the pastor and his wife were all late. And all of them, every one of them had good excuses. At 7.30, the time the choir rehearsal was to begin, not one soul was in the choir loft. Not one soul was even in the church. This had never happened before in the history of this little church. Uh, not ever, but that night, the only night in history, or the history of the church, that the choir wasn't starting practice at 7.30 was the night that there was a gas leak in the basement of Westside Baptist Church. At precisely 7.30, at the time the choir would have been singing, the gas leak was ignited by the church furnace and the whole church blew 
up. Now, when you hear stories like that, you go, well, wow, um, hard to call that a coincidence, right? You go, well, that could have been, and that might have been, and it probably was a God thing. But we go, but that doesn't happen for me. It doesn't go like that for me. It's like God purposely is hiding himself. Like it, my life's like just the exact opposite. If I'm on the freeway and there's one nail on the freeway, guess who hits it? Me, right? If there's one patch of ice, who slips and falls and gets hurt? Me, and there's nobody to sue, right? That's just the story of our life. And so we go, well, that's not me at all. And so the question for so many of us in this room is where is God? Where is he? If he wants to be found so bad, it's like, where is he? It's like our lives are like a Where's Waldo book. You remember those books about, I don't know, 10 years ago? They were very, very popular, and, and Waldo was a little character, and this character would be placed in the middle of the cityscape, you know, or the countryside, or, and you had to find his character, but you had to look really hard to find Waldo. But if God wants this relationship for us, why is it like a Where's Waldo experience? Could I just submit to you that God is closer than you realize? That God is closer than you think? And maybe you and I need to move more specifically toward him. Maybe you and I are the ones who need to work a little harder on this relationship. Could, could I just read a, a simple verse of scripture that comes from the, the mouth of, of King David? It's in the Psalms. It's Psalm 16, 8, and it says this. I have set the Lord always before me. Always before me. What a powerful thought. That there is this responsibility that you and I have in the God-man relationship as well. God has done everything to make it available. He has reached toward us in every conceivable way. But there is this effort that you and I have to do to put God always before us, to set him always before us. And, and so let me just, with the few minutes that I have left, let me just tell you some ways that I think God is closer than you think. Maybe I'll just throw these out there and this might work for you. This might, you, it might like ring a bell for you. And I hope that it does because I really do believe that God is reaching toward you and you and I, we have to work a little bit toward reaching toward him. We have to recognize his work already around us. And, and so one of the ways, if you were to be like kind of a note taker, one of the indicators of God's presence in our life is this word called reassurance. Reassurance. Let me, let me explain it like this. I came across this list of, uh, of, of things that actual bosses wrote on their, their uh, uh, what do they call it? The, not survey, but um, assessment of their employees, right? Um, they were doing like their year-end assessments. And these are some of the things that, that these bosses wrote. And I'll just say them to you because I think they're hilarious. It says, uh, I, one boss says about their employee, I would not allow this employee to breed. Another boss says, this employee is not really much of a has-been, but more of a definite won't be. <laughs> um, another guy says, uh, he, he would be out of depth in the parking lot puddle. Oh my goodness, uh, out of his, you didn't get it. Okay, I thought it was brilliant. Uh, it says, this employee, another guy says, this employee is depriving a village somewhere of an idiot. <laughs> you know, the village idiot. 
Okay. If, if, and the last guy says, if you see two people talking and one looks bored, <laughs> he's the other one. Uh, now, I mention this because a lot of people, they think of God like this. Like, God is out there doing, like, this assessment of you constantly. And if you don't measure up that, that he's staying away from you, that somehow you're not good enough, and that's why he's hiding from you. But let me tell you something. Like, God is not avoiding you like you're the village idiot. He's not. Not at all. It's the exact opposite of this. As a matter of fact, we learn in the pages of Scripture, and if you reach toward him, you would know this. You will feel this. You will eventually sense this in your own life. I'm telling you, here's what it says in the book of Joshua. This is amazing. This is the heart of God toward humanity. It says, so be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be, what? With you wherever you go. Wherever you go, this is the heart of God toward us. God's not like kicking us to the curve, like, hey, that guy, does, he's out of his depth in a puddle. He's not like that. He loves you. He created you, and he wants to be with you. And so in those moments that um, when somebody rejects you, and you feel, in the middle of that rejection, you feel such betrayal, in the middle of all of that, when you hear a very simple, still voice that says, I matter to God, and though I'm rejected by this person, that's God being closer than you think. That's God being closer than you think. Listen, when you face a challenge at work and it is daunting and, you, and maybe you feel like uh, you're just not going to be able to make it and, and, and then there's this moment where, where you say, I can handle this. I can do this. That's God's assurance and reassuring you that he's with you. And let me just humbly submit to you that that's God being closer than you think. Maybe you're in a, a big transition in life and everything's about to change and you're just wondering where your world's gonna settle and, and you're feeling so alone in it all. But then you hear this gentle voice, maybe this nudge that says, you're not alone. You're gonna be okay. You're not alone. Could I just say that's God being closer than you think? I think it is, friends. I really do. You know, when we've, uh, there was this man in the Bible who was wrongfully in, in prison. He was broke. He was depressed. Uh, he was lonely. Uh, then it hit him. Then it, this little phrase hits this man named Paul. He says, I can do this. I can do all things. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Could, could I just say that that is God being closer than you think? He is not far. You see, friends, when we face these moments that we feel we're at the bottom or the bottom is dropping out, when we are about to go over the edge and all of a sudden there is a peace that overtakes you, when there is this moment where you go, there is no possibility of me getting out of this unscathed, but God calls to you and he says, I am near, that is God being close to you. That is God reaching toward this relationship. That is God saying, I have never abandoned you, not even once. God is with you, my friend. That's what it's saying. Let me tell you a second way. You may want to write this down. This is another way that God shows his presence to us. And it's this word, very simple word. It's called guidance. Um, this is so simple, but it's profound. And it seems like to me, the older I get and the longer um, I, I'm in this relationship with God, it, it seems that his voice becomes clearer to me. The, the more I move toward this relationship, the more I get into his word, 
the more I yield myself and submit myself to him, it seems that his guidance for me goes up and up and up. Now, I want to just tell you a really very, very simple story. And this may mean nothing to you, but it means a whole bunch to me. Um, there is this fine restaurant establishment that I frequent. And um, it's, it, it's a certain Taco Bell. And, uh, and, and I would go in there, and I was going in there for years, the same one for years. And there was this um, a young lady who, who worked there. And I'm, I'm guessing she has Down syndrome. That, that would be my guess. And, and she would do her work. And I would often be so intense and having meetings there or studying there or, or thinking about my day there and all the things I got to do to reach people for God, right? I'm a pastor. Then one day, this girl holds the door open for me. She's done it a thousand times. And uh, I go in, I sit down, I get my food, and I sit down, and all of a sudden, God just hits me, just hits me over the head and says, you knucklehead, look at this girl. You have passed her by a thousand times. And somehow, you think those nice, middle-class, all-together people that you minister to in your church mean more than her. Well, you're wrong. You're wrong. And you better work on developing this relationship with this girl because I have put her in your path over and over and over and over. So I started developing this little relationship with this young lady. And so when I'd walk in, uh, she would light up with a little smile, hold the door open for me, come over and just give me a big hug. And this is the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And friends, let me just gently submit to you that when you hear this certain calling in your life that something is awry or something isn't right or the direction you're heading is simply wrong or, or maybe it's um, that you're, you're being called to do something, to go somewhere, to give something, to serve somewhere. Um, that is God being closer than you think. That is God reaching toward your relationship with him. Move toward him. Set him before you, and you won't regret it. Here, here's another one, and, and you may want to write this one down too, because uh, this one we don't like very much, but I think this is God. I think this is God's love for us. I think this is one of the ways that God reaches toward us, and it's this word called conviction. It's this word called conviction. And, and you get this idea, right? Jesus said it most straightforwardly one time in the Gospel of John, I think it was the 18th chapter, he says, uh, he says I'm sending the Holy Spirit into the world to convict you of your sin. What comes from the Heavenly Father? Good gifts. And so he sends his Holy Spirit as a good gift to us and he convicts us of our sin. And it would, and, 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 uh, it would be easy for us to think that when we, when we have broken this relationship from God and we feel guilty, we feel like somehow that's a punishment, but it's not. It is a gift from God when we feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit to change who we are. Friends, this is God being closer than we think. John Orberg, uh, the, the guy who wrote a book called God is Closer Than You Think, which inspired many of these thoughts and really inspired this whole series for me. Um, he, he tells a story in this book where a grandmother 
uh, had her granddaughter over the house, and the granddaughter's real little, little like three or four years old. And uh, they're in the backyard, and grandma is like facing the sun, and the granddaughter's like behind her, right? And the granddaughter's playing in the hose. And uh, after a little while of this, you know, the girl's making all kinds of crazy noise. And after a while, the grandma turns around toward the granddaughter, and she realizes the granddaughter has made just a pile of mud everywhere and has been throwing mud and just got mud everywhere. And so the grandma jumps up and says, oh, stop, 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 honey. And so she does the whole deal and cleans up the granddaughter and cleans up the patio and cleans up all the furniture. But, and, and then they go down to play and the granddaughter wants to continue to play with the water and the hose. And the grandma was fine with that. But, but she says, now you're gonna play in the grass so that you won't make mud. You're gonna play in the grass so you won't make mud. And this time, grandma takes her chair, which was facing this way, and now turns it this way toward the granddaughter. And so the grandma picks, or the granddaughter picks up the hose, and John describes this in his book. The granddaughter's picking up the hose and is looking at grandma and going, Nana, Nana, don't look. Nana, don't, don't look. Don't look. And she moves closer and closer to the mud, mud pit. Aren't we the same way with God? Our sin always wants to be done in darkness. Our sin always wants to be hidden out of the sight line of God. Don't look. Don't look. Don't look. Don't look. And then we feel this measure of conviction in our soul. That is a gift from God when he looks. It is a gift from God telling you that your relationship with him matters. And you should listen to that voice. Don't look at me, God. Don't look at me, God, okay? No, God says, I am looking. And it is a great gift to you. I want you to think about this idea of conviction deeply in your soul. It is meant to bring you back into right relationship with God. Do not ignore it. So you're an executive and you, you know, who, who pads his expense account and God speaks to you. Listen to him. You're an employee who is deliberately making another coworker be bad or look bad and he convicts you of this. Or maybe you're in a marriage and that marriage isn't going the way it should go and and God's saying that you've got to change some things. Don't just walk away. You've got to change some things. And this conviction is on you. Deal with it. Let God speak into your life. A, a, a student uh, who's looking at somebody else's exam to get through the work, and you feel convicted about that. That is from God. That is from God. Or you're living with, you say you follow Christ, but, but you're living with your boyfriend or your girlfriend outside of marriage. And he's convicting you, and you know it's not right. And the world says, oh, see, that's how God is. That's how those Christians are. Everything is bad, wrong, bad, wrong, bad, wrong. It is a gift from God when he convicts you to move in the right direction because the right direction will cause a right relationship. You may want to tweet that. The right direction will cause a right relationship. And isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we want? Don't you want to live at peace with your creator? I do. So there's one more. One more, just very, very quick. Uh, one more way that God's presence is in your life. And that is this word called joy. Just joy. There, there is this, 
weird sense that things will be okay even when it doesn't seem okay. You ever had that? Come on, anybody? You ever had that? There, there is a sense of peace when nothing is peaceful. There is a sense of goodness when nothing is good. There is a sense of okay when nothing is okay. And friends, that is God saying, I am nearer than you think. I am closer than you think. It is his great joy who's, uh, uh, that he puts in your soul. It was David who said this in Psalm 16. He said it like this. He says, you fill me with your joy in your presence. Let me tell you something. When, when you figure out how to move toward God, the, the scripture says that his spirit comes and takes up residence within you. That he puts his, his presence into your soul. And there is this great thing called joy that starts to build inside of you. And it carries this peace with it. It carries this eternal weighted happiness sort of a thing with it. It's not that we're naive. We're not that like we're going, oh, the world's perfect. It's not that at all. It's just that we know the one who holds the world together when the world is falling apart. And it changes everything. And it changes everything. And so my hope is, over the next few weeks together, um, that we would move closer to God because he's closer than you think. You want to do this together? Let's do it, okay? Let's pray. Father in heaven, um, I come before you with all of uh, our church family here together, friends, visitors, regulars. God, uh, most of us have had a where's God sort of a moment. I, I think every one of us has. But God, you are never far. You love us way too mo much to be far away. And so God, whatever it would take in this room, with whoever, God, would your spirit speak to theirs? God, would maybe you just give them that measure of reassurance. God, that you would somehow give them this, this measure of peace that just comes from you, that you are with them. Or God, maybe, God, maybe you just need to give them this heart of conviction to move them away from something that's taking them from you. Maybe, God, you need to give them this thing called joy. I don't know what they need, but Father, I pray that your spirit would speak. God, maybe you would guide them somewhere new. God, but they would recognize that you are at work in every single thing, that you are never far, far. So Jesus, I pray that your grace would cover us. God, I pray that your grace would speak to everyone in this room. Hold us close. In Jesus' name, together we say, Amen. Amen.